Welcome, I'm Moshe Ferber. And I am Ariel Munafon. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast, a podcast about security architecture. Hello, everyone. Another episode of Silver Lining Podcast. Uh, and with me, as always, Moshe. How are you, Moshe? Very good. Good morning, Ariel. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we, we, I can uh, say every podcast. episode that we make we're still in the COVID time uh, it's difficult but uh, we keep going we keep going yeah it's hard to talk with the mask but uh, we're pushing it forward and with us today we have Benji Portnoy pleasure to have you Benji hi great to be here thank you for having me excellent we're going to talk about uh, you we're going to talk about your company aqua security where you are the uh, direct senior director of uh, solution architects and uh, also chief meditation officer tell us about it and we're going to talk about cloud native what is cloud native and what are the basically uh, you recently released a, a white paper about certain attack um, interesting to hear about it sure. but first of all I know you for many years uh, CA and later on uh, in now aqua tell us a little bit about yourself and about aqua security sure so uh, Moshe, I think I know you from uh, actually CA days um, mm-hmm. so I was uh, working in information security projects uh, across EMEA and um, moved from there to uh, semantic and then blue code uh, working you know it's different cyber defense strategies with customers across EMEA and about four years ago uh, I moved to the brave world of then it was containers now it's <laughs> more referred to as cloud native and everything that that entails and yeah it's been an interesting ride yeah so tell us a little bit what do you doing uh, aqua security and then tell us a little bit about aqua security itself and Sure, so I run the sales engineering, otherwise known as solution architect team. Um, so we work very closely with customers, helping streamline security into their dev, DevOps processes. Um, otherwise, think of DevSecOps. Uh, the company was founded by Amir Jerby and Gerald Davidoff uh, just over five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time to address some of the risks introduced with uh, microservices and container technologies. And today the company has really evolved to be the number one pure play cloud native security vendor uh, I would say exclusively focused on protecting cloud native technologies like containers kubernetes um, serverless functions and cloud VMs okay l- let's de- dive in into that let's talk about what is cloud native security so you mentioned it in one word like containers let's talk about okay so what do you really protect yeah so you <laughs> You know cloud native there are many definitions out there uh, I would say you know an accepted definition of, of cloud native and then we can talk about security so you know cloud native is really an approach to software development uh, that leverages uh, cloud computing to create uh, you know very scalable dynamic applications uh, typically that run in public private or hybrid cloud environments um, and there's you know many it, it's almost a mindset uh, cloud native and, and there's depending on who you're talking to there will be different interests the security aspect of that uh, is I would say something that has evolved with the industry um, you're probably familiar Moshe I would say there is a, a gap today uh, both in terms of skill set uh, and knowledge around you know cloud native security about cloud you know, well in general, I, in general <laughs> if, you, if you speak to you know many organizations they're still trying to understand you know what is kubernetes you know what yeah. is the lambda function every two days I make uh, my living from uh, exactly. telling them exactly what this is yeah I hope you do that for many more years 
And, you know, and then if you speak to someone about security, obviously, there's many challenges around that, uh, both in terms of standardization, but also, I would say, in terms of, you know, process and technology specifically that addresses, you know, the cloud native security challenges. Um, you know, cloud native is really an opportunity to do security right. Uh, if you think about how these applications are being developed, where there's a focus on very high velocity uh, automation, uh, it's really a great opportunity to embed the security controls very early on in the pipeline. I'm sure you're familiar with shifting mm -hmm. left. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't end there. Obviously, that's just the beginning. Um, but, you know, ensuring that throughout the application lifecycle that this piece of code whether it's you know an image that became a container, whether it's uh, code that became a function, or even something like infrastructure as code, like a cloud formation or Terraform template, to really ensure drift prevention and enforce the immutability of that uh, of that application throughout the lifecycle. Okay, interesting. Let's dive deeper. Um, I know that uh, Gartner calls the they have a couple of categories like C, uh, CSPM, cloud security posture management, and uh, cloud WPP, cloud workload protection platforms. Give us a little bit what each one of them is doing and where do you fit in in this big picture? Yeah, great question. So uh, if you look at the Gartner report for CWPP, I think it came out in April 2020, you'll see Gartner specifically talking about cloud native and there's three categories there um, that they kind of uh, define as being essential when taking a holistic approach to cloud native security those are devsecops uh, cwpp and then cspm and you know i, I don't think this is uh, it's it's evolving i don't think that is necessarily what everyone would agree with but it's definitely a good blueprint And if you look at what, what Aqua is doing today, you know, we believe, and this is based on our experience with our customers and the experience that we have, we believe there are three fundamental pillars that need to be addressed to comprehensively look at cloud native security strategy. And those are, you know, protecting the build, protecting the infrastructure, and protecting the workloads. Protecting the build, you mean the code build, the uh, the the application, application and everything mm -hmm. from you know it could be anything from all the way from you know static code analysis, then looking at infrastructure as code, um, you know mm -hmm. cloud formation, Terraform templates, but then looking at the, the 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 infrastructure in terms of you know if a container image is being built, typically that will be done in a CI pipeline. You'll have a tool like Jenkins. And then there's many potential risks, right, that we want to address. So we want to really empower the DevOps teams and developers to own some of the security uh, and the security posture of these applications early on in the lifecycle. Mm -hmm. If you look at how the applications are developed, um, today there is, I would say, the majority of these microservices are you know, leveraging uh, open source tools, dependencies. And if you look at the supply chain, of where, where this comes from. You know, it could be something as simple as an image, like a base image from Docker Hub. It could be a dependency, like an NPM uh, uh, library from, you know, which is on a, on a GitHub repo. But there's, there's an assumption that a lot of these components uh, are secure. And as we know, you know, bad actors are continuously, I would say, trying to leverage the ubiquitous Uh, nature of these applications um, to try and, you know, uh, exploit this for nefarious yeah. reasons, right? Uh, hackers or whatever. So to go back, Moshe, when you look at the, the build, what we really want to do is try and reduce the attack surface 
as early on as possible, irrespective of if if it's if it's a container or a function and ensure that there's no malware, things like sensitive data, misconfigurations um, at any stage. And then, you know, once that application is then out there and, and published, ensure, you know, we want to, we spoke about the workload protection. Mm-hmm. And that is enforcing immutability, ensuring that whatever that particular container or function is supposed to do does exactly that. And anything that deviates from that um, is stopped. And regarding infrastructure, you you know you mentioned differences between CSPM. Uh, so infrastructure can be anything. You know, most organizations today have a multi-cloud strategy. Um, I'm sure Mushroom, uh, you know, and Ariel, many of your customers are using combination of Amazon, you know, yeah. Google, Microsoft, and there's you know a huge myriad amount of configuration settings and options in these cloud environments, um, which makes complying with industry best practices like CIS, but also things like, you know, regulatory standards, PCI DSS, Sorbonne-Zoxley, increasingly challenging. So how do you create some kind of standardization around these different cloud environments? But also when we look at infrastructure, we're looking at things like Kubernetes. So everyone knows CSPM, Uh, we've created something called KSPM. This is Kubernetes mm-hmm. uh, security mm-hmm. posture management, and this is really looking at the the Kubernetes cluster, um, irrespective, you know, that may be in a cloud uh, flavor or it could be on premise. And how do you ensure both visibility as well as you know the posture management of these clusters from an infrastructure standpoint? Okay. okay, so we're talking about uh, building, how we build the application, how we deploy it. We're talking about the workload themselves, the container, the Kubernetes, whichever. Everybody are focusing in. I'm kicking the, the, the mic. Sorry for <laughs> no the, violence. The, all the noise. No violence. <laughs> yeah, I'm enthusiastic about it. And we're talking about the infrastructure, basically the cloud infrastructure, mm-hmm. which is where the traditional CSPM. Okay. So you're looking at all of this as a bundle, which makes a lot of ten- sense because looking at each pillar on their own is, uh, you, you see only the smaller picture. In the last couple of uh, years, I've been hearing that CASB is the solution for a uh, for a uh, infrastructure service platform service what you can tell us about it and uh, you're smiling maybe <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of time explaining people that casB is not uh, the right tool for, uh, for no you know, them I think casby you know definitely has its place um, mm. in the stack really what casby is doing is allowing you to have I would say you know traditional security controls applied to SAS, you know if you take something sure. like you know office 365 um, mm-hmm. Salesforce or the myriad of SaaS applications the customers are using today you know uh, organizations need to have visibility and security controls and um, that's really what casby is coming to do right so yeah. whether it's you know data loss prevention uh, compliance requirements um, and you know using the API of those specific you SAS applications to provide that yeah. the problem is that some of those uh, caspi vendors are now is starting for instance looks for uh, I don't know misconfiguration in buckets so people are trying to push yes. them into the CSPM category uh, but this is exactly not the type of work that they were created to do uh, and cloud native is very important here I mean when you try to take something that is not cloud native and try to tweak it into the Amazon Google or Microsoft you get troubles yeah I mean that, that's a great yeah. point Moshe yeah. I think in general if you take a traditional technology that was built to deal with traditional threats um, and you try and adopt that to to the cloud native world usually that's uh, not going to end very well you know th- these there's a fundamental paradigm shift in terms of how these applications are developed uh, and the security risks are different as well right like I said you know there's a great opportunity to do security right with microservices and um, 
you know, again, it's it's about the mindset and, like I said, shifting the security left, reducing the attack surface very early on, and then ultimately ensuring uh, that drift prevention throughout the life cycle of the application. Okay, so uh, m- moving on, uh, I'm just smiling because I recently met somebody who tried to uh, put on a diagram how containers talk to each other. No. Okay. And this is very hard thing to do with containers because I mean it's all it's it's not in a diagram. They're all talking about with different ports. So it, it, you have the same nick on the diagram. It's one connection, but you have ten thousand of different policies on top of uh, this connection. So yeah, we need different tools for this uh, cloud native stuff. Uh, moving on. Um, On the preparation talk, we discussed that there is a 2,000% increase in cloud-native attacks, and you recently launched a, a, a white paper describing uh, one of those uh, attacks that you miss, uh, that you uh, uh, that you met. I think it's called Kinsync. Yes, one right? of them, yes. One of them. Can yeah. you, let's go deep into this. Let's try to analyze this attack and see uh, what you found out there. Sure. So just to provide your listeners with some context. So we, you know, we have uh, a team, uh, it's our research team, and they've been tracking over the last, you know, four years, the evolution of attacks, specifically cloud native attacks that are, you know, where attackers are looking for infrastructure like, you know, Docker APIs that are misconfigured, you know, Kubernetes infrastructure that's out there. And, you know, we are seeing an increasing trend uh, in attacks that are tar- specifically targeting um, this infrastructure. And it makes sense, you know, if you look at how prevalent, you know, cloud native is today, the, the hackers know that there's a lot of exposed uh, applications out there, microservices, and whether that's, you know, in public clouds, private clouds, and they're trying to leverage this and, you know, make the most of this opportunity. So the report really details our findings. Uh, you know, we have honey honey pots out there uh, trying to lure attackers uh, so we can learn, you know, their methodologies and techniques. Um, and it's actually interesting. We're seeing that, I would say, a shift in a lot more sophistication in the attacks and the attack vectors that, that we're using. So the report looks at the different uh, attacks that we've seen and maps it to the Mitra framework. And if you look at, you specifically mentioned Kinsing, um, Maybe I'll talk about some of the techniques that the hackers are using. So there's, you know, I would say three levels. Number one is, you know, supply chain. So that could be uh, intentionally putting a malicious image in Docker Hub uh, with a, you know, random name, hoping that someone will download it that has a malicious payload embedded in the image. That's the least sophisticated. We're then seeing, uh, I, you know, Marsha, you know all about social engineering. Mm-hmm. So I would say kind of... Uh, images that have that are very similar to a popular image name like nginx mm-hmm. right or alpine mm-hmm. latest with one letter difference trying to dupe um, people developers to use that as their base image and then obviously there's malware in there and we'll talk about the nature of the malware in a second and thirdly what we're seeing more and more frequently uh, and this is an example with kinsing was that a a fully legitimate image was used right uh, in that case it was Ubuntu latest a very popular image right um, but the entry point was overridden right by these bad actors um, at runtime so essentially they exploited a, a, a an insecure docker API that there was another version which was we saw also using um, you know kubernetes vulnerability and then because they were overriding the uh, you know the the entry point it allowed them to essentially say this is not a regular Ubuntu container we're actually going to download malicious payload in this case it was crypto mining malware and you know 
It, it, go ahead, Moshe. No, l- l- let's uh, review the details. So basically, they uh, they put in in Docker Hub they put an innocent image. Well, in, in this yeah. case, there was no need for that. So they they it was actually they they there's an assumption that users organizations are going to use Ubuntu latest, right? So mm-hmm. that image is there. The you know the mm-hmm. hackers did not have to do anything, but then they ran that image. Okay, so usually organizations restrict the registry and restrict which base images are used. Uh, they they can use. If you take something uh, you know like Alpine late, latest or Ubuntu latest, there is a high chance that this will be allowed. You know according to the organizational policy. And in order to exploit that, then the entry point needs to be changed you know, when that is run. So what the hackers will do, they'll look for a particular vulnerability or a misconfiguration. And then when they instantiate this Ubuntu latest container, they override the entry point essentially to run a script that will download malware, in this case, crypto mining malware. But I have to go back to this entry point. Is that the customer uh, Kubernetes area or in the Docker Hub? It, it's, no, it's done at the on, on the it's done in the Kubernetes cluster, right? So ah, okay. yeah, and again, the entry point. This is you know this is unrelated to Kubernetes. You can have just standalone Docker. You can still you know override the entry point. Um, the entry point is basically the the link to the image in the Docker Hub. No, no, the entry point. Think of the entry point as the the first. Well, it, it tells the container what to do when it runs. Ah, okay. okay? Think okay. of it as like the. Mm. I don't know the the, the default command, right? Mm-hmm. When the container runs, the boot ini for the, the exactly the disk. Exactly. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm bringing me back. I'm old. <laughs> so yeah, think of it as the boot ini. It says when this container runs, this is what it should do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right now, you know, everyone today scans, for example, their images. Right. It's it's a best practice. You need to look for vulnerabilities, malware, mm-hmm. and what the, what the hackers are doing, and this is actually you know discussed in the report. Is that you know as they realize that static scanning um, is is the only thing organizations are doing, they're using evasion techniques, right? So for example, they are embedding a base sixty four encoded compressed payload inside the image, right? And then when you scan this with you know you, you it, looks see like, it looks yeah. like a benign image, everything's mm-hmm. wonderful, and you know go to sleep at night but then when that image runs right as soon as it, it is as soon as it's instantiated it will start doing something malicious like you know reaching out to a crypto mining server or a CNC server to understand what it needs to do to get instructions a lot of time these instructions and configurations are also on github so most organizations Have allow access to docker hub they allow access to github the traditional security stack is completely blind uh, to what's going on right and then you have this whole What I what I call an you know infrastructure hacking infrastructure at scale, um, leveraging Kubernetes and things like you know auto scaling. Uh, if you look at some of the the notorious breaches um, that you know cyber attacks that happened via cloud native, there was one a couple of years ago where it took it's a very well known organization. Um, it took them six months to identify that they've been breached. Uh, and they have a huge you know, security infrastructure, incident response, forensics, uh, firewalls, IPS, everything you can imagine. And the way they identified this it was not via the SOC, it was from the Amazon bill that <laughs> you know from the C, from the from from the compute that was being stolen by the crypto mining malware. And uh, I think this says a lot in terms of you know it's it's not just the technology that needs to change, but if you take things like incident response, You know, we're used to doing incident response uh, after a breach, taking a server, Moshe, you know this very well, you know, taking an image, 
but the assumption is with a VM that the, the VM can be around for months, sometimes even years. Mm-hmm. You know, that the average lifetime of a container is typically minutes, yeah. right? Sometimes seconds. So they are, you know, ephemeral. Uh, there's no persistency. And therefore, you know, if the breach does occur, it makes you know, the, the incident response process and investigation, I would say, very different, yeah. you know, to what we used to. Yeah, IPs don't matter anymore, you know, right? Exactly. Because the same container, it could be different containers on the same IPs, and uh, you cannot access the memory, the Docker is long gone, there is no, lo- there's no, again, it's ephemeral, so when the container gone, everything's gone. So. Precisely, and you, yeah, Kubernetes <laughs> is deciding, you know, which microservice, mm. how many instances, you know, what's the desired state of a particular pod, and it can move around from node to node, um, as needed, right? That's that's one of the great, you know, when we talk about, you know, hyperscale, mm-hmm. yeah. it's the orchestrator that's, you know, the back end that's doing all of this. Okay, so, so now, basically, forensics is very hard. How, how do you support, I mean, how do you uh, make uh, forensics easier in this environment? So, yeah, so one of the ways to do it is to, you know, audit everything that happens, you know, not just within the containers themselves, but also on the underlying infrastructure. So if you take something like, uh, you know, kubectl or kubectl, mm-hmm. You know, I, I say this is like having essentially root access. Um, and if you imagine if someone uses some simple social engineering and manages to dupe a Kubernetes administrator to download a YAML file uh, and they run kubectl run, you know, they have no idea what's actually going on underneath, you know, what image is running, what's inside the image. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really key to have both, I would say, static but also dynamic analysis of the images before they even enter the organization. But like I said, really key to have constant uh, monitoring visibility um, ov- over the infrastructure within the containers and also enforce that immutability. I would say if there's one thing that, you know, um, one takeaway is that, you know, drift prevention is something that it, that is critical. Uh, developers have this, you know, assumption that once the application is out there, that it remains static and it does, it will just do what it was created, right? You hmm. Now... It's as easy as taking kubectl edit um, to a running deployment in Kubernetes, and you can easily modify the image, right? So who knows about that? You know, is there accountability? Um, how do you prevent that from happening? And more importantly, how do you prevent you know, legitimate containers from being abused by bad actors, like we mentioned, um, and ensure that you know, if you have one process running in a container, that any additional process that deviates from that okay. is actually you know, blocked in real time. How do you do this uh, physically? I mean, what do you, you have an agent on the Kubernetes? Uh, you accessing it from a side? It's a sidecar. I mean, how do you how do you the, interact with this uh, platform? So there are many ways to do this. Uh, you know, Kubernetes itself has some really good native controls um, to help pre- pre- prevent some of these kind of attacks. So, but if you're using a managed Kubernetes like uh, AKS or something like that, it says uh, you still uh, have visibility. Yes. Those, uh, yeah. So even so, yeah. So you know, tools like Aqua, we have you know an enforcer that sits as a daemon set. Um, but you know, we there's also we have an admission controller which you know works at the at the Kubernetes API level. That's probably you know a native way of doing it. And depending on the, on the organization and the level of risk and the risk tolerance, mm-hmm. you know, some organizations will want to have you know both an admission controller and an enforcer. You know, and the role of that enforcer is really to Think of it as this, you know, agent that looks at every workload that's running uh, and ensuring that it's doing exactly what it was supposed to do. And when we identify something malicious, you know, alert and block that, you know, in real time. Today, we actually have, you know, me- mechanisms to do this that are agentless as well. So 
I would say there are many options mm. around, depending on you know the risk appetite of the organization and what they're trying to achieve. Okay, so but basically you have a solution if it's a managed Kubernetes, if it's a standalone Kubernetes, if Correct. it's OpenShift. It's a, so basically you're interacting with all of those uh, platforms depending on the on the scenario. That's correct. Okay, and going back again, I'm curious about it. You mentioned the the entry point was change. I mean, and for that it's on the Kubernetes cluster itself. I mean, on the Docker engine itself. I mean, in order to do this, what kind of an access the attacker needs to have? Needs access to the cluster. I mean. What? Yeah, so ultimately, yeah, the, the attacker needs either access to the Kubernetes cluster or needs access to run a container in the environment. Um, you know, if you in the report, Masha, I think you saw that you know a lot of the uh, the incentives for these attacks was just stealing compute power, you know, crypto mining. But we're seeing more and more sophisticated attacks where actually trying to use the the container uh, infrastructure to escape into the host and then do you know lateral network movement and try and use that to get into the the, the more traditional network right the data center mm -hmm. uh, we saw this last year there was a, a vulnerability in runcy which was used by every single kubernetes uh, flavor out there uh, and it essentially allowed you to escape from from a running container assuming that the the version of runcy was vulnerable uh, you know bad actor could exploit that and escape from the container and then basically you have access to the underlying host as root, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's just one example. You know, all software has bugs and there's always going to be vulnerabilities. Yeah. I think I think what's yeah. interesting here is is that you mentioned the growth. You know, we started looking at this behavior, um, I think June 2019. And then from January, so in 2019, and from January 2020, we saw a huge increase um, in in terms of the attacks, right, 250% increase. And that just says that, you know, uh, as these environments become pervasive, you know, bad actors are trying to exploit yeah. that and use that to attack organizations. Yeah. I'm laughing because 20 years ago when we started virtualization, we had the same problems. I mean, we used the uh, uh, risky images because, again, we didn't have good governance over images. We had guest escapes. I mean, we were yes. we, we never ran our virtualization server in production because we were worried that we are not good enough in blocking the virtualization from the host. We had problems. We, we were misconfiguring the networks, which is it's even a bigger problem in uh, Kubernetes, right? Because everything there is, is very shaky from the network point of view. Uh, so we are repeating basically the same problems we had 20 years ago. We are repeating them again. Yeah, yeah. that's that's definitely a lot a lot of truth to that. You know, if, if if you look at again how the applications are being developed, I would say I typically talk about a you know pipeline like uh, like airport security. So ultimately, you get to airport once upon a time, right? We used to go through airport security, <laughs> and you know um, you, you want to get to the other side, right? And depending on if you're a DevOps person or a security person, your culture will determine how quickly you want to get to the other side. So DevOps is all about high velocity and automation. They do not want to be stopped by security people and compliance checks, mm -hmm. right? They just want to go through this security and get out to the other side and go on vacation. Security people are used to externally mandated checks and controls. And I think part of the uh, culture divide, right, that, that we can help and in the community is to kind of help foster this DevSecOps collaboration where security cannot be superimposed on these applications once they are developed, right? That will just fail. The only way to effectively address some of the risks that we've spoken about is to empower the DevOps people and the developers early on, right? And give them the tools so they can, you know, assess their own images so they can understand the risks. 
Um, and, you know, ultimately, if a vulnerability is discovered in a running application, in the old days, we could just, you know, SSH in on Tuesday night and <laughs> upgrade the Apache server. Well, now you need the that that a build has to take place, right, to update the package in the mm. image, and it's and it's a different stakeholder. So we're seeing a lot more collaboration within organizations, you know, between security and DevOps. Um, and I think that will, that's a trend, hopefully, that will continue. Mm. Yeah, this is something that we are talking almost uh, every two chapters here, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, like we, we said, there's a skills gap, but I think there's many tools out there today, some great open source tools. Your listeners can go to the Aqua GitHub page, for example, and see some great tools that we have Trivi, which can help developers scan their images. We have KubeHunter, mm -hmm. which can be used to do a penetration test on the Kubernetes cluster. You know, we have, there's a whole bunch out there, KubeBench, to how do, you, how do you ensure that you're compliant with CIS benchmarks? And these are tools that developers like because they're native to their environment. And, you know, the scanning tools can be directly embedded into a CI tool, um, into the pipeline using, you know, Jenkins or whatever's being used. And then it actually will will show the developer, these are the risks, this is what we've identified. So you you by mistake left an SSH key in there, um, you know, there's a piece of malware, you downloaded this, you're using this dependency or third party application. These are the risks. This is what you need to do, you know, to go and address those risks. Perfect. Yeah. Right, let's try to summarize this, uh, going back to uh, what we spoke. So Aqua is doing, doing cloud native security. What it does mean, it basically means that you're protecting the build, how we build the, uh, the, the pipeline, the CICD, how we build the, the, the service that will run this. Mm -hmm. So you're this is a, what uh, someone refers to as DevSecOps, right? Correct. You are protecting the workloads, the container themselves, the images, the, all of this. This is a, what uh, some of what might call a CWPP. And you're also protecting the cloud infrastructure itself, misconfiguration, all of those stuff. And this is usually referred to as CW, uh, sorry, C, CSPM, uh, poster yeah. management. Yeah, so this and is KSPM, all... which we mentioned, yeah, so specifically so for, for Kubernetes. Now yeah. we have seen flavors of those. Uh, Gartner also now I see now a new term, uh, SaaS uh, CSPM, yes, I mean, SaaS software uh, uh, poster management. Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, we're talking about how we identify misconfiguration in different platforms. It could be misconfiguration of the AWS environment, of the Kubernetes environment, of the AKS environment. So this is basically you give visibility and control into these uh, layers. Correct. That's the idea, right? And we see more and more uh, cloud native attacks, which basically utilize malicious images. They utilize some kind of vulnerabilities or misconfiguration in the uh, Kubernetes or other container services, probably. And they use this on the first thing they do, they do Bitcoin mining just uh, as a hobby, right? And then down there, after they launch their Bitcoin mining stuff, they start also lurking see what they can, maybe they can do some lateral movement, but they could catch some information, probably. If they have a chance to uh, do some ransomware on your data or stuff like this, I mean, they are all the options open. Again, because if I understand from you, basically they have an image that they control. I mean, whatever they download, it, is, it, it either can be Bitcoin mining or there could be some kind of a CNC uh, agent and they have full control on Correct. top of so it. The, you know, supply chain yeah. attacks. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. And the yeah. way that they maintain persistency is basically because you keep uploading the same image. Right? Well, well, not necessarily. That I mean, mm -hmm. the image is out there. Persistency is a whole different scenario. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there are different ways to do it, but ultimately they want to try and install some kind of something on the underlying host, right? Okay. That allows them 
uh, backdoor access because obviously the container is going to be dead within a few yeah. minutes. Uh, Moshe, when are you cool. coming to work for us? <laughs> After that summary. Let, let's talk about the details later. <laughs> All right, offline. Okay, anything you want to add on top of this? Uh, something you want to summarize with? Uh, no, thank you for your time. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was fun hanging out in the studio. Uh, for your listeners, you know, if you go to the Aqua GitHub page, like I said, there's a lot of open source tools there. I highly recommend uh, a Kubernetes security book. It's free uh, by Liz Rice. She's our VP mm-hmm. uh, open source. Um, so check that out on the Aqua page. We also have a wiki with a lot of, you know, very educational information there. And uh, yeah, stay safe and remember to meditate. Mm. Okay, thanks a lot Benji for your time. All right. Thank you to all, all our listeners and uh, bye-bye.